Abigail. And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. All right, good morning, church. I hope you are doing well. I'm Pastor Dan, along with Abigail. We have the privilege of leading and pastoring here. And like she said, we had a great time uh, studying part of Paul's missionary journey, his second missionary journey, going through some of those cities. It was just incredible to stand on Mars Hill and overlook the Agora there, the marketplace there, and just think about those conversations that Paul was having. Uh, So many cool experiences. We're excited to share that with you guys. Allison, our kids' director, was joking, oh, we're probably going to be hearing about Greece for the next few weeks. Yeah, probably. All right. (laughs) So just be ready for it. Uh, We're excited. We're continuing in Galatians, which was not part of our trip. Uh, Galatians would be in modern-day Turkey, which is right next to Greece. And uh, Paul was a church planner. He's an apostle. And he went around and started churches in all these different cities, some of the ones we just visited. And one of those places is in Galatia. And see, he planted a church in Galatia, went on to plant other churches, and then heard about some of the stuff that was going on there. He was like, man, that church is not doing well. They've left the foundation I laid. They've started to believe other things. And so he wrote this letter back to them to try to correct and get them back on track. Many have said that Romans explains what the gospel is. And we've said this last few weeks, that Galatians is what the gospel is not. He's saying, don't add anything to the goodness and grace of Jesus. You don't need the law. You don't need to become Jewish by descent. You don't need all these things. You don't need circumcision or certain holidays or food. He's like, it's just grace. And so the first couple chapters, which we've now worked through, he kind of lays out his personal argument and why you should trust him. And then he moves into chapters three and four, which are some of his most aggressive and passionate writings in all the New Testament. You'll see in verse one of chapter three, he actually starts name-calling. And, you know, for us, that kind of takes us back. We're like, wow, Paul, maybe calm down just a little bit. But it shows how intense and how impassioned he is to make clear the, the gospel, that there's nothing that clouds it or gets in the way. Also, I think it's worth noting that just the way they would debate and have rhetoric back then, it wouldn't have, been so, it wouldn't have come off so aggressive and brash. It would have been something that got your attention and been like, oh, Paul's serious, but you wouldn't have been like personally insulted. Like we would maybe be like when Paul said, oh, foolish Hope Culture Church. We'd be like, what? That's intense. But that's what he's saying. And we're going to get there in just a minute. But before that, I kind of want to ask this question of who wouldn't want to be blessed? Who just is like, God, please just skip over me. When you're blessing people, you can get them. That row probably needs it more than me anyway. And no, we're all wanting the blessing of God. And Paul starts to deal with that in this chapter. How do you actually receive God's blessing? How do you become part of his family? And he unpacks it, and it's going to be great. It's also a little bit more heady than some of Paul's things. I mean, I was watching the video again, and I'm like, love, joy, peace, patience. I'm like excited to get to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. I can't wait. But in this section, he gets a little bit technical because he wants to make it clear why his argument makes sense to that, that audience. So he's going to jump around to the Old Testament a lot. He quotes the Old Testament you know, six or eight times in this passage. And we're going to look at that and see what does that mean for us today? What does that have to do with God's blessing? What does that have to do with my life? So let's pray one more time. God, would you speak to us? We thank you that your word is living and active. Would you minister to us this morning through your word, by your spirit? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, if you're a note taker, write down how you start is how you end. 
How you start is how you end. That's not true in everything, but that's true in this passage. That's what Paul is saying here. This is Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians. See, there it is, right out of the bat. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So you start to see Paul's kind of flipping it. He's, he's becoming the one interrogating them. He's asking questions. He's been in this legal type argument and he's saying, all right, how did you receive the Spirit? Through the law or by believing what you heard? He goes on, are you so foolish, verse 3, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You can't start one way and finish the other, Paul's saying. He's like, you can't come to God through the Spirit by grace and then move into the flesh and the law. Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? Verse 5, so again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard. How you start is how you end. Paul is inviting them back to grace. They're drifting because of outside pressures towards the law and towards the rules and towards the old covenant. And he's saying, guys, you can't finish that way because that's not how you started. He's like, let's go back to the beginning, which is a helpful thing in a lot of things in our life. When we feel we've drifted, it's helpful to go back and remember how did that start. In marriage counseling, they teach you, that's what you ask. You say, well, what were you doing when you fell in love? And you're like, well, we were going on dates, and we were doing this and that, and these other things. And you're like, well, what are you doing now? And you're like, none of that. You're like, well, maybe go back to some of those things. That's what Paul is doing here. Do you remember how it started? How did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit through the law, or did you receive the Spirit through grace? You foolish Galatians, we're, we're tempted to drift drift to foolishness. We don't want to admit it, but we do. There's, there's a lot of foolish people in the world. Human beings, just we have a high capacity to do silly things. One of my favorite stories was this guy, um, it, he woke up in Minnesota, dead of winter. It's so cold. His engine won't start because everything is frozen. He's like, what should I do? <laughs> it makes me laugh even thinking about it. It's funny every time. What should I do? My engine's frozen. He's like, I have a good solution. Make the gasoline hot. Yeah, see, you guys know where this is going. You're not as foolish as this guy. He takes the can of gasoline and boils it inside. That did not end well. That, that's the end of the story. That's just, to say, <laughs> that's just to say we have a high capacity to do foolish things. And it's easy to see foolishness in somebody else. It's hard to see it in ourselves. Paul is saying, guys, You've drifted, and from his perspective, this is obvious. This is foolishness. This is against the foundation I laid. You've made it something that it never was. You're adding laws. You're adding circumcision. You're adding food. You're adding holidays. You're doing all these things. Go back to the beginning. How did you start your relationship with God? It was by grace. How did you receive the Spirit? It is equally as foolish to boil gasoline as it is to try to finish the Christian life in your own strength. It is equally as foolish when we try to finish in our own strength. We like to try, though. We know the beginning. We know the gospel. Those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time, years, decades, we're like, we understand the gospel. It is grace, faith. We're made new. It's all a free gift. It's not, there's nothing we can boast about. We know that. Ephesians 2. But then, somewhere along the way, we like to take over. 
at least a little bit of it. We want to feel like we're contributing. We want to feel like what we're doing is adding to it. We want to prove to God that it was worth saving us. We want to make the gospel something it wasn't. We want to take what was a free gift and start, try to start paying God back. And I'm not saying we don't change. We're supposed to be changed by the gospel. We're supposed to live for him. But it's not becoming under the law. It's not earning anything back. It's not stepping outside of grace and into the law. Paul says, how did you receive the Spirit? By grace, through faith. He says, who has bewitched you? Which is intense, but intentional language. He's like, it's almost like you're under a curse. You're under a daze. Like you can't even see things clearly. That There's actual demonic and spiritual forces that are at play in their confusion. That happens to us. We get led astray easily. We have things that, that sound good, but then turn out to not be true. We need to take both of our experience and the word of God and make sure we prioritize those in the right order. We match our experiences against the word of God. That's the thing that trumps. We don't take the word of God and try to match it to our experiences. But it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to drift to that place. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 18 times in Galatians. And Paul uses this part. He starts his argument in chapter 3 with just going personal. Your personal experience. He's saying, remember how you received the Spirit. Going back to the beginning. How did this all begin? In a minute, he goes theological, and that's when it starts getting really deep. But right now, he's just saying, go back. How did you start? How did you receive the Spirit? You think you're going to finish the Christian life different than you started it? No, it's all grace. It's all God working in you and through you. The reason he goes back to the Holy Spirit as the evidence is that when you read the New Testament as a whole, you see over and over and over again that it's the Holy Spirit's work in our life that brings us to salvation. It's not possible apart from Jesus. It's all the cross, but the Spirit is the one who does the work inside of us personally. He draws us to Jesus. He convicts us. He, he shows us truth. And in fact, I made a little slide that says the, the Spirit's role in salvation. He convicts the lost and points to Christ. If you want to read that later, go to John 16. There's other passages, but that shows how he brings conviction to the things we've done wrong. He points out that we need a Savior. And then you see that you can either resist or receive him. In Acts 7, it talks about people hardening their hearts and not receiving the free gift of the Spirit. And then if you do receive him, you're born again by the Spirit. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working to bring salvation. That's John chapter 3. Nicodemus being, what must I do to be born again? And then you're baptized into the body of Christ. That's different than water baptism, which we're going to do after service. This is when you're grafted in to the body. This is when God makes you part of his supernatural body of Christ, the big capital C church. And then you're marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And that's Ephesians chapter 1. So Paul's saying all of this stuff happens. He's not unpacking it all here, but he's unpacked it in some of his other letters and the letters he will write. And he's saying, guys, the Spirit is the mark that you are in Christ. He is the seal that proves you are adopted into God's family. He's the one who drew you in. He's the one who's been there the whole time. In fact, there's miracles happening among you. Verse 5, so again I ask, does God give you a spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Paul's saying, guys, if you want to know, are you saved? Are you in Christ? You need to ask yourself, do you have the Holy Spirit working in you and through you? And he says, remember, the Spirit came by grace. 
Spirit did not come from the law. The Spirit came by your faith and hearing and responding. But we have this tendency where we want to work things out afterwards. We talked about that a little bit. And there's this idea that, well, I just didn't even know what I didn't know. I, those are some of my favorite salvation stories where somebody has an encounter with the Holy Spirit that shows them who Jesus really is and their life has changed. They're like, I feel different. I have peace. I have these other things that, you know, God's convicting me of things that I've never cared about before. The, I went to go do that thing again and it didn't seem fun anymore. And all of these things start to unfold and they're like, but I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't really understand anything. And then they start to learn and grow. And that's a really important process, that process of sanctification. But what can happen along the way is as God is sanctifying you and changing you, you can start to think that you're doing it. You can start to think, I'm doing pretty good. God, look how far I've come. And we should look how far we've come and say, praise the Lord. But the, the tendency is to say, look how far I've come. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty awesome. He says, go back to the beginning. How did you receive the Spirit? Acts 15.1 kind of gives us a little bit of a picture of what's happening during this time where it says, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That verse reminds us also why we have to read things in context, right? Because if I just posted that, or just put that verse on the screen, then I could argue the very thing that Paul's arguing against and be like, look, you have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. That's the only way to be saved. That's why we need to read things in context. Even as I'm preaching, take a little note and go back to it later and look at that chapter, look at that book. What is the, the theme? See, what's happening is they're having outside pressure. Certain people had come down and they were teaching, this is actually how you be saved. Their argument and their reasoning kind of makes sense. They go back to Abraham and some of us, you know, we're still in that phase where we just gave our life to Christ or we're still trying to figure it out. Do I believe this and all of that? We're in those early stages of becoming part of God's family. For those of us who've been following God, we know who Abraham is. Abraham's the one that God came and gave a bunch of promises to. It's Genesis chapter 12, and it's Abraham for a long time after that. God promises to make his name great and to make him a nation and to bless all nations through him and all these things, and that it, it all starts with Abraham. And so what's happening is these Jewish leaders, the Judaizers, are coming and saying, if you want to be saved, if you want the blessing that comes from Abraham, you have to be part of Abraham's family. That made sense to them. That was just like logical. They're like, you can't receive Abraham's blessing unless you're part of Abraham's family. And if you want to be part of Abraham's family, you have to be circumcised. So that's what was happening. And that's what Paul's fighting against. That's why Paul's saying, no, you don't have to be. But he can't just come and say you don't have to be. He has to explain it. He has to unpack it theologically. So that's what he does in this next section, starting in verse 6. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's a famous verse. Paul quotes it a lot of times. He quotes it in Romans and uh, other places. It's, it's from Genesis. And what Paul is doing is saying, look at how Abraham was actually made right with God. He believed God. It wasn't because he followed all the law. The law didn't even come yet. The law doesn't come for another 430 years or even more, depending on when you start that timeline. The law hasn't even come yet. Moses, or, uh, Abraham doesn't even get circumcised for another few years. 
There's a gap between the promise and when God institutes some of these other things. And so Paul's like, wait, wait, wait. If we're going to go back to how we started our relationship with God, we have to go back to Abraham too. Abraham was credited as righteousness through faith. God's been doing the same thing the whole time. That it's, it's faith that makes us right with God. It's that lived out trust that credits us with righteousness. So Paul quotes that passage, and then he, he unpacks it further, verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. He's kind of helping these believers who are struggling with, am I part of Abraham's family? Do I receive the blessing? Am I in? Do I have to do this other stuff to actually be in? He's saying, no, the true people of Abraham's family, the ones who are children of Abraham, it's through faith. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that's everybody who's not Jewish, by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. This is actually a really important passage of Scripture. These next few verses in Galatians chapter 3, I think, teaches us a good way to a, a proper hermeneutic. And some of you are like, I have no idea what that means. What that means, hermeneutics are the way we study the Bible. It's the filter through which we read. And, and what Paul's teaching us right here is we need to read the Old Testament through the lens of the promise more than the lens of the law. He's showing us how we actually understand how God has always worked. He's saying, look, the law is important, and he's going to get further into it later in the chapter. But right now he's saying, but look, Abraham first came to God through faith, the same way we do. That's what makes us part of his family. Verse 9, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That's good news. That's good news for all of us, that we receive the blessing of Abraham through faith. You don't have to do all the extra stuff. Praise the Lord. We're blessed because we receive the blessing through faith. Going back to verse 6, Abraham believed God. This is Genesis 15. And the idea of it was credited to him, or depending on your translation, it maybe says uh, accounted or counted to him as righteous. That's the idea um, of it being imputed, like put into his account. It's saying you're actually receiving the righteousness of Christ because you believed. It was put into our account and our sin debt was removed. Understand then, verse 7, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. See, this is important because our physical descent doesn't guarantee our spiritual life. This is true for the Jewish community. Jesus actually was teaching. John the Baptist in Matthew 3 says, it's not enough that your Abraham, Abraham was your father. He's like, that's not enough. You, you need to be baptized. You need to repent. Physical descent doesn't guarantee spiritual life. That's, that's a good application for us too. God doesn't have grandkids. He only has kids. You can't say, I'm getting into heaven, I'm right with God, because my families were a Christian family. My parents were Christians. It has to be our own faith. We need to be like Abraham. We need to have a faith in God, and that will be credited to us as righteousness. Scripture foresaw this, that God would justify the Gentiles, all people, by faith. This is encouraging the greatest blessing is then found in Christ. There's many promises given to Abraham. 
and they have different applications. Some of them are just personal for him. Talking about he will have a son and, and the seed and all these things that will come. It's, some of them are specifically for his lineage that is his family. Some of them are for all people, all nations. And discernment and study helps us know which one is which. Looking at scripture, asking God to show us. All nations will be blessed by you. What's nice here is Paul's doing the work for us. He's saying this is a promise that actually applies to everybody. You will be blessed. What the blessing is, is it points to Christ. He actually explains this in a minute. The blessing points to Christ and is the idea of the undoing everything that is wrong. Christ came so that we could have a relationship with God. Going back to the big overall story of Scripture, the redemptive story, is that God created a good world, a perfect world, and that we sinned, Adam sinned, things changed. Everything became broken. Nothing was as it should be. And God shows up and promises to Abraham to make things right. See, Genesis 3 through 11 is everything falling apart, everything going wrong. And it's important that the blessing, the promise, comes right after that. Before the law, hundreds of years before the law, he's saying, I will bless all people through you, through your seed. He's pointing to Jesus in that moment. We're all going to be blessed through Abraham. And so the idea of Jesus coming and being the blessing is that he, he gives us the ability to see things worked backwards. You guys remember VHS tapes? Yeah, pretty much all of us. You rewind them, and what's cool is you could like watch it backwards. Like you remember it like, it was just like it was undone. That is the idea of the cross. It's that in my life, my sin is removed. It's like rewound because Jesus took it. That's the blessing that is found in Abraham. That's the blessing of the hope we look forward to. It's that we see glimpses of it in our own life. We're praying for it broadly and we're believing that one day God will complete it. He will make all things right. It makes more sense why some of us who grew up in church sang the song Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. You know, you're like right arm, left arm. I, like as a kid, I was like, what? I don't understand what's going on here. <laughs> it's like, my dad's name is Steve, and I don't know why we're singing this song. Like Abraham, and like, is it Abraham Lincoln? Or like, what <laughs> is happening? But then you understand that this is pointing back that we become part of Abraham's family through faith. That the same way he had relationship with God is the same way we have relationship with God. So you don't come to Christ and have to get circumcised and follow the Jewish law and tradition. You come to Christ by faith. This was Paul's message. This is why he was so worried. This is why he's saying, who has bewitched you? You foolish Galatians, you started understanding the gospel. You came to Christ. You received the Holy Spirit. But then you're making it about the law now. And it's because these outside pressures came and said, no, if you want the blessing of Abraham, you have to actually become part of Abraham's family. I wonder what those things are in our life. I don't think it's circumcision or what day is holy or what foods we can eat. But I think there's outside pressures that tell us, no, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is the checklist you have to follow. Your checklist is different than mine. Yours must not be right. It's just grace and faith. By faith, it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. That's how we're saved too. For by grace, you are saved through faith. 
not of works. We're part of Abraham's family. It, it emphasizes faith over and over in this passage. You see Paul drawing the line to Abraham and then saying, drawing the line from Abraham to faith over and over. And if you think about Abraham's faith, you actually have a sense of what does that look like for us? What's the application as I live that out like Abraham? I think we can see Abraham's faith summarized in three words. Go, leave, and hope. Abraham's faith causes him to go. You see this a few different times. When God tells him to go, it's summarized in him leaving the land and not knowing where he's headed. I think we're called to move towards God, to go where he's calling us. And the hard part is we don't often know exactly what that's going to look like. We don't know what lies ahead. God, what are you calling me to, though? You're calling me to go and move a direction, but I don't know exactly what that looks like. But that's what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. It's moving in the direction God is leading you before you fully understand. In the going, it's also leaving. When we reread Abraham's story, both in the Old Testament and when Paul summarizes it in the New Testament, in Hebrews and Romans, we see that the going involved leaving and that Paul actually separates those things. It's one action, but it's, there's two parts of it. You're moving towards the unknown, but you're also intentionally leaving some things behind. The Christian faith causes us to regularly evaluate, God, what, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to leave behind? Romans 12 talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you're changed and conformed into Christ, and that we leave things behind as we become more like God. Pick up your cross and follow me, Jesus says, that there's an idea of going and leaving, leaving comfort, leaving the things that, that we know, the things that may be good, but God's calling us to walk away from. Hebrews 13 talks about how Jesus was outside of the camp, and there's this beautiful imagery that we're, we're called to do the same thing. And the last thing is that it calls, faith causes us to hope. We preached a whole message on this a few weeks ago. It's a great one to go back and listen to, but we'll look at a different passage this time. This is Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place, see that first step of faith going, called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Trusting God, his faith, the faith that was credited to him as righteousness, caused him to move into the unknown and leave what was familiar. He was a stranger in this new land. But look at verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city without foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He had hope of eternity, even in that moment, thousands of years ago, when the promise is given to him and he's told to start moving and he doesn't even know what this is going to look like. He knows that at some point, in some way, God is going to finish the redemption story that we see that it's finished at the cross. Jesus says it is finished, but we don't see the fullness of it yet until we're in heaven. And just like Abraham, our faith causes us to do those three things. Go, leave, and hope. 
And I want to encourage us and just have a moment of reflection of what area do I need the Spirit of God to speak faith into? Is it in the going? Is it that I've been hesitant to step into what God's asking me to do because it's scary and unknown and I don't know the details of it? Or, or is it that I'm willing to go, it's just I don't want to leave behind certain things as I do? That there's certain things I want to bring with me? Habits or attitudes or people or whatever it is. Or maybe we're willing to go and willing to leave, but we've kind of lost hope along the way. That things are clearly not as they should be, and we've lost sight of the big picture that the redemption story isn't finished yet. That we actually look forward to a city whose architect and builder is God, a city to come home to. Paul continues in Galatians 3, and he says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. He's quoting Habakkuk 2, verse 4 in that passage. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Sorry, I threw, threw the slide person off. I was jumping around. But we understand that righteousness comes by living the life of faith. And so Paul starts to make this argument. Remember how you started. How you start is how you finished. How did you get the Holy Spirit? Grace. He's like, right, you don't need all the other stuff. And then he goes on to say, the blessing is given to you just by faith. You don't need the other things to get, to get the blessing. And then he goes on to say, actually moving back into the law is like clogging your arteries. It's, it's blocking the flow of that blessing in your life. The blessing of God is the reversal of those things, the reversal of the effects of sin and the power of sin and the penalty of sin. We're freely and fully forgiven but as we receive the blessing from God, as we receive his spirit working in our life, we actually start to do those things less. We actually start to make an impact on the world around us. Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the church is given the responsibility of seeing the blessing of God worked out among us. And so he says, it's not a religious cafeteria. You can't just come and say, well, this is what I want here, and this is what I want here. Salvation can't come from the law, because it's either the whole law or none of it. And they're like, well, we just want parts of the law. We just want to do these things. He's like, no, it's all or nothing. And so go back to how you started. You receive the Spirit. Then remember, you get the blessing because you received the Spirit. But when we move back into a legalistic mindset, when we move back into the law, we block the blessing in our own life. Salvation comes through Christ alone. Let's continue reading. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone hung on the pole. He redeemed us, verse 14, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. I had a few things that I wrote down because I was kind of thinking, why did the Galatians so easily move back towards legalism? Why did they move towards the law? They had those outside pressures. They had people saying, this is how you do it. But what made, it, what made them believe that? What made them do that? Why are we led to it? And I think that legalism appeals to the flesh. I think it makes us feel self-righteous. 
It makes us feel like we're accomplishing something, that we're, we're being religious, and we have something that we can hold on to and say we did. I think it appeals to our senses. You know, it's like tangible in a lot of ways that faith requires us to walk, you know, not by sight and not by hearing and smelling, but the law, we can do some of those things. It's also easier to compare how we're doing with others. When, we, when we're thinking legalistically, when we're thinking in terms of rules, it's easy to be like, well, I'm doing better than they're doing. The law allows us to compare ourselves with others. Faith forces us to compare ourselves with Christ. And that's a big difference. It's like going to try to jump across the Fox River in the wide parts, not the skinny parts. And you're like, I'm going to jump to the other side. And when you jump... You're like, wow, I jumped way farther than Seth. Like, did you see that? I was, I was like three feet farther than Seth. But then, you know, somebody else, like Greg is like, he jumped farther than me. And he's looking like, look, I jumped farther than Dan. But that's what the law allows us to do. We're comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. But when we have a faith understanding, we don't see the distance between us and other people. We see the distance between us and the other side. We see that, man, I fell way short of God's standard. I wasn't even close. In fact, the Fox River is not even a good example. It should be an infinite amount of space that we could never cross. That's the beauty of remembering it's by faith. It's by grace. It frees us from comparison. It helps us to have humility and say, God, I need you today as much as I needed you day one. I'm still dependent on you. I still need your spirit working in me. There's the word promised used eight times in this passage. And Paul's trying to hammer home the idea that the promise given to Abraham is much more important than the law given to Moses. And I don't have a lot of time to unpack this. It's kind of the next few verses but the idea that he gets to, you'll see it a little bit next week, is that the law was temporary. It was a guardian in the meantime until Jesus came. And that they're not contradictory. They work together. That the law points out our need to be saved and grace allows us to be saved. And he, he beautifully pulls these arguments back together. All to say to the Galatians, guys, it's always just been Jesus. Even in the old covenant, it was by faith. He said, don't, don't lose sight of that. You foolish Galatians, remember how you started. How you started is how you finish. We walk by grace every day. We cannot do it on our own. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the truth that all of us fell short of your standard. No matter how far we think we could jump, no matter how righteous we think we are, no matter how many things we've done right, God, we've all missed the mark. We've fallen short of your standard. We thank you that your grace saves us and rescues us and changes us. God, I pray that we would never leave the idea of grace, that we'd never walk away, that we would finish the way we started, that we wouldn't try to add to the gospel, that we wouldn't try to manufacture rules and things we must do to follow you. God, would you change us? Would we become more like you? But would we recognize the whole thing is grace, that it's always you, it's always your spirit. We are in need of you today. 
We are in need of you yesterday. We are in need of you tomorrow. Be with us. Give us clarity of the gospel. And would we worship you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.